Have you ever had somebody love you enough to exhort you and encourage you when you had lost your way? You ever had somebody that's done that in your life? Just they, they actually spoke truth into your life. I have. I still remember at the age of 17 when uh, my, my best childhood friend, Kirk Groombridge, pulled me aside and said, John, I'm concerned. I've seen a change in you and it's not good. I noticed the, the, the music that you're listening to and it's really changed how you think and how you talk. And he was right. And his words were, were right from God as they just cut me to the quick. And I repented and to this day I pretty much listen to Christian uh, radio and, and, and worship music exclusively. See, one of life's greatest blessings is when you have somebody who loves you enough to, to exhort you, to encourage you, to tell you the truth in love. The good news is that Jesus died for you. We just sang about this. Jesus died on the cross for you so that you would have your sins forgiven and you become a part of a church, a community, God's forever family, where we are called and commanded to encourage one another. We're charged by God to do this. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. You can also Google this. Look it up at, at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And we're going to today learn about encouraging one another. I believe that today's message may prevent us from having a spiritual heart attack. Or at very least, prevent spiritual heart disease. As the late pastor Warren Wiersbe has said, the heart of every problem is the heart. You found that to be true. But God can use an exhortation to save and heal us. And we all need this. Kathy, uh, Truett Kathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, the restaurants that are so popular nowadays, he once said this, if a person is breathing, they need encouraging. So that means all of us above ground. So let's read from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 to discover how we can strengthen our hearts and encourage one another. Please stand for the reading of God's word from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our confidence, our original confidence, firm to the end. And may by the Holy Spirit, we hold our original confidence firm until the end. Amen? You may be seated. I believe these... Three small verses are a lifesaver to us. Here's how I'd summarize Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Exhort one another to strengthen your hearts. Exhort one another to strengthen your hearts. I could have easily said encourage one another. Encouragement is the softer side of exhortation. Some of your translations actually use the word encouragement. They mean the same thing. They're since building courage into our lives. Don't we need that? 
And that courage is always to do the right thing, not the wrong thing. I want to repeat from last Sunday the words of Johann Wolfgang van Gogh, who said this, Correction does much, but encouragement, so much more. Unless you think that exhortation is hard, harsh, it should always be done in this attitude. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 2? With the same measure you use, it will be measured unto you. So before you start exhorting somebody, you should always think, would I want this done to me? And how am I going to do it? It's just a great little governor that we should put in our lives. Pastor Rick Warren teaches, great people make other people feel great while little people be little people. So what do we need to do to, to exhort one another in? There are lots of options, right? What should we exhort one another to do? And I want to focus on three reasons for exhorting one another today from the text. Our pastors, Pastor Kyle and Pastor Jason, we gathered on Wednesday and we were going over this passage. And, and I think it was Pastor Jason who said, you know, this, this passage really communicates why. Why we should exhort one another. And so we came to the conclusion we exhort one another to strengthen our hearts. But what are we strengthening our hearts in? Well, here's the first strengthening, okay? Here's the first strengthening. From verse 12, exhort one another to strengthen our hearts in abiding belief. Abiding belief. We've used that all year long. Abide, right? Abiding means to, to, to stay, remain, stay connected. Look what it says in verse 12 again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Notice the exhortation to one another is communal. Take care, brothers. And we could also add the word sisters. Often we read the Bible as individuals, right? You read it and you think, oh, I'll just apply this to myself. But that's not how it was in that day. This, this letter would have been written to the whole church there. It would have been read as a group. So it's, it's to take care, brothers. Some scholars have said we ought to be so concerned for the safety of each other that none would perish through our negligence. We are to look, look, at, look over one another's hearts, to look out for one another. Some translations could be say, see to it, which equals watch over each other. See, our hearts are a community project. We are our brother and sister's keeper. We're to become heart specialists of one another. And you don't even have to go to school for that. You just need to follow God's word. You know how when a person has a heart condition, right? What do they usually say? Oh, don't exert yourself too much. Or they'll say things like, be, be, are you sure you should eat that? It's pretty high cholesterol. Well, Today, we're going to be doing that in our own lives. And the call is really to, to call each other back to trusting God. Trusting God for every situation because we are so tempted to try to live life on our own. And so what we need to be really careful about is how are we, what are we feeding our souls with? Unbelief is a sin in itself because to not believe means that you are left up to yourself to, to figure life on your own. And how sad is that? 
However, when you believe that God, he created you and he loves you and he sent his son Jesus to die for you and adopt you to be part of his forever family, it fights unbelief. And maybe you walked in today and you're like, I don't know if I can go on. I'm really struggling to believe God. That's why you came today. God wants you to exhort and encourage one another. To not believe is evil. It's not good. and leads us to wrong actions and falling away from the living God. And is nothing more scary than that. One writer says this, The saddest thing in the world is to see a noble beginning made in the Christian life and then to have it lost before the end arrives. Man, I don't want that for my life. I don't want that for your life. And this is why we need to build courage into one another in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. We need to exhort one another to strengthen our hearts in an abiding belief, belief that will last, belief that clings to God. Falling away from God is like, did you hear about that, that ship, that cargo ship off the coast of British Columbia? Where it almost got to, got to the west coast there, but then the sea containers fell off into the ocean. That's affected a whole bunch of people. I know of one nursery, this garden and nursery center that actually uh, is missing some lights. They're at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Much worse is if we lost one another. So think about your family, small groups, your friends. There's somebody that you need to just remind today. Hey, trust God. He's got this. He loves you. He can do the impossible. Exhort one another this week. You may stop somebody from having a spiritual heart attack this week because they're just one choice away from a moral failure. Not only do we need to exhort one another to strengthen our hearts in abiding belief, but we also need to exhort one another to strengthen our hearts in sincere tenderness. Sincere tenderness. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This, doesn't this verse have a sense of urgency? About today, doing this daily. Heart issues get priority sequence. I remember when, when uh, Lori was pregnant with with our, our uh, third born, um, Noah. And um, I was just about to go away, and I think you're in about your eight month uh, of pregnancy there, and, and all of a sudden you experienced all this heart racing. Well, we went to the hospital, and as soon as we told the triage nurse that, that, <laughs> that Lori, my pregnant wife, had heart racing, did she have to go in the waiting room? Not at all. They rushed her in, right? And they, they looked after her. And we praise God that she and, and Noah are okay. But it was not something to ignore. We can't ignore one another. There's an urgent need to be in one another's life daily. Did you notice the word when it says there every day? Every day. We should be waking up and say, Lord, who do you want me to encourage today? Today is the day of grace before the coming day of glory and judgment by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
contrast this with tomorrow. One writer says, tomorrow is the day when idle men work and fools repent. They say, tomorrow, we'll get to it, right? Tomorrow is Satan's today. He cares not what good resolutions you form if you only fix them for tomorrow. Tomorrow, we'll get to that. But spiritual procrastination can be deadly. Our spiritual arteries clog and we're not even aware of it. And this is because we become deceived. It says that really clearly, doesn't it, there in verse 13? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Those clogged arteries. The deceitfulness of sin causes air in our hearts. To err. To, 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 to fail. My dad used to say this when, when he'd hear somebody sin. He'd say, that was, that, was, that was not a sin of the heart. That was a sin of the head. Now, he wasn't making an excuse, but he was saying, they, they weren't deliberately, willfully trying to sin. They were just living in ignorance. But brothers and sisters, this is why we must be in God's word, so that we don't live in ignorance. Because there's a delusive attractiveness of sin. And an erring heart, an evil heart, a disbelieving heart. You know what that turns to? It turns to a hard heart. A hard heart. And this is why we must exhort one another to be honest and sincere so that our hearts are tender and soft towards God and his things and, and to people. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to remain having a soft heart towards people. But a soft heart is a strong heart, not a weak one. Exhort one another to strengthen your hearts in abiding belief and, and sincere tenderness. And if you see somebody who's deceived, go lovingly tell them the truth. And if at all possible, go do it in person. Help them out of the miry pit. It's our job to do this in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. So exhort one another to strengthen your hearts in abiding belief, also in sincere tenderness, but also to have lastingly enduring confidence in Christ. Verse 14 makes this clear with the promise. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The writer of Hebrews was, was saying, we share in Christ presently. But that is only if we continue with our original confidence or belief in him. We can't just count on yesterday. That abiding belief is demonstrated in faithful actions and in his commands. It includes, but it is not limited to exhorting one another. One of the things we need to do is exhort one another. And what do we share in Christ? You might be saying, John, what, what, what do we get to share in Christ? That sounds pretty exciting. Well, think about this. We get to share in his divine nature according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Like, Jesus can help us by giving us his divine nature. We also get to share in his inheritance. Like, all the riches that Christ will ever have, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 17, we get to share with him in that. We also get to share in his body, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and in his blessings, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Like, like, Every spiritual blessing is for us who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. But we must hold on to that confidence, which is why we exhort one another to strengthen our hearts and enduring confidence in Christ. And, and it's when we, 
we speak into one another's lives, that we, we build that confidence. There's a lot of talk for the last few decades about having self-esteem. What if instead we pursued having confidence in Christ with one another? So how do we hold firm in our confidence that we had when we first came to faith in Christ? Think about that. What we do by daily reading God's word. You might have heard this before, but this is the best thing you could do because God wants to speak to you each and every day. And, and to pray daily and to meet regularly with people, speaking into their lives. If we do these regular activities, people will be less likely to die of a spiritual heart attack and miss out on sharing Christ. So read God's word, pray, meet together. You'll build confidence in Christ. We need godly people to speak into our lives. I was thinking about how my dad, as I was thinking about this message and how my dad spoke so much into my life, and I was going through his old files. And I found one of the best exhortations I've ever come across in his files of his illustrations. And I've read it on several occasions, and I wanted to read it to you, even though it's, it's lengthy. It's actually from one of America's most beloved pastors, Chuck Swindoll. And he once wrote to his congregation this, and I quote, okay? I can't seem to get past the subject I wrote about recently. When issues like this don't leave my mind, there's a reason. Perhaps it's the Lord prompting me to go back and dig deeper. Who knows? There may be someone dancing dangerously near an inappropriate or illicit relationship or something I may write may be all that's needed to call halt to further involvement in sin. I'm referring to an adulterous or otherwise impure sexual liaison, which if not stopped will spell the ruin of another precious soul. You may be that someone. If so, listen to the following very carefully. To begin with, from all those I've confronted, dealt with, or heard about who have fallen to sin, two paths led them astray. And here's what Chuck Swindoll said. The first is this, subtle deception. We found this in our text, didn't we? Subtle deception. This is almost a passive series of thoughts which include rationalization, ignoring the warnings of a sensitive conscience, the consistent erosion of one's walk in Christ, and tolerating things that are, were once intolerable. Webster means that, uh, says that deceive means to make a person believe what is not true, to delude, to mislead. It implies deliberate misrepresentation of facts by words or actions to further one's end. Pause a moment and think that over. To delude, to mislead. The scriptures include direct warnings against deception. In fact, we are, are frequently commanded not to be deceived. Here's some verses that are about deception. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be what? Deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then 1 Corinthians 15.33 warns, Do not be deceived. Bad company. What does it do? Ruins. Good morals. 
And then there's Galatians 6, 7, and 8a. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Still unconvinced? 1 John 1, 8 says, For if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Pastor Swindoll says, interestingly, near all those warnings about being deceived are found in the context of sexual or moral impurity. The beast within us feeds on deception. And as long as we can convince ourselves that what we're doing is not all that wrong, we have no difficulty proceeding into further perilous territory. Infidelity occurs in the head long before it happens in the bed. So subtle deception. Second, there's the path of deliberate action. Deliberate action. Once the mental roadblocks start getting cleared away, the excitement of stolen waters becomes sweet to the transgressor's taste. Make no mistake about it. The pleasures of sin, those excursions into secret experiments with forbidden escapades are both enjoyable and stimulating. The flesh loves such encounters. Maybe as a kid you were told, you know, sin isn't fun. Sin is fun. For a moment. They may yield temporary delights, but they're enough to make one's carnal appetites crave more. And this is then calls for more aggressive action as that built-in curiosity pleads further involvements, which in turn pushes the person to become increasingly bolder and usually more bizarre. Again, God's word addresses this issue head on. Look what it says here in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God with your body. Flee means just that. Get out. Refuse. Keep a safe distance. Stop all movement toward lust in the flesh. Guard the temple. Like Joseph in the Old Testament, run away and run like mad in the opposite direction. Don't let yourself get cornered. Counteract those weak and vulnerable places in your psyche by taking practical steps of resistance. That includes being tough on yourself by not allowing even the appearance of evil to occur. Too strict? Not according to Paul who once testified, I buffet my body and make it my slave according to 1 Corinthians 9.27. There may be still a few who remain unconvinced and if you're one of them, you may find yourself in a compromising situation and to be frank about it, not ready to call a halt to something that seems so tantalizingly appealing. Pastor Swindoll says, for you especially I dedicate the balance of my comments they have to do with the consequences you probably haven't thought through sufficiently. Temptations are usually softened by emotional narcotics that numb the harsh reality of pain awaiting the sinner at the end of the road. Before listing several of the inevitable consequences you have to face and endure as your own secret sins are exposed, let's return to a few pertinent scriptures. They are to the point, therefore they will sting. But that will help get your attention, hopefully. Whatever you do, don't excuse sinful behavior by claiming you're addicted or victimized. Sure, you have been abused, but those terms only help you escape 
responsibility. This is what Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap what? Corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Hebrews 13, 4, we need to take heed. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And please don't forget Proverbs 6, 27 and 29, which says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Wounds and dishonor will he get, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Corruption, God's judgment, calamity, burned, scorched, punishment, wounds and disgrace, reproach. Are those exaggerations? You can decide. The following is an incomplete list of what you have in store after immorality is found out. Here's what he says. The total devastation your sinful actions will bring to your children is immeasurable. Their growth, innocence, trust, and healthy outlook on life will be severely and permanently damaged. The embarrassment of facing other Christians who once appreciated you, respected you, and trusted you will be overwhelming. If you're engaged in the Lord's work, you'll suffer the immediate, immediate loss of your job and the support of those with whom you worked. The dark shadow will accompany you everywhere and forever. Forgiveness won't erase it. Disillusionment and anger will spread rapidly to those whom you once ministered. Your fall will give others perceived license to do the same. Your mate will immediately be isolated by those who once stood near. Guilt and shame and rejection he or she is sure to feel will accompany the anguish of loneliness. No amount of repentance will soften these blows. The inner peace you once enjoyed will be gone. The blessings that once accompanied your pure heart also gone. You will set in motion a generational chain reaction. The blessings that once accompanied your pure heart are also gone. You won't be able to stop those, that chain reaction no matter how hard you try. The heartache you will, you will cause to your parents and your family, your peers and your mentors and your disciples will be indescribable. And you'll never be able to erase the fall from yours or your others' minds. As Solomon wrote, your reproach will not be blotted out. This will remain indelibly etched on your life's record regardless of your later return to your senses. And the name of Jesus Christ, whom you once honored, will be tarnished, giving the enemies of the faith further reason to sneer and jeer. Your mate will feel betrayed and can never again say that you're a model of fidelity. Suspicion will rob her or him of trust. And your escapade will introduce to your life and your mate's life the very real possibility of a disease. Solomon was right. The way of the transgressor is hard. Forgiveness may come. The affair may end. Restoration to fellowship may occur. But these consequences will not go away. And these are just a few. In closing, a few words of encouragement to those who have not fallen. What can be done, what must be done to keep us from slipping into secret sins? Admittedly, anyone can fall, but no one has to. Here's four actions that will help. Number one, keep reassuring your life's partner. Be willingly accountable and open. Express your commitment and say so. 
to cultivate the intimacies of your marriage. Work on being creative and sensitive romantic partners. Keep those hugs and kisses and other private, sincere demonstrations of affection. Save your very best for the one you promise to love and forever until death do you part. Intensify purity in your private world. Don't play around with sexual things. Keep no secrets. Guard yourself from hidden lust. And fourthly, be absolutely honest. Refuse to allow yourself to live behind a mask. Tell the truth. If you're weakening, call for help. Call one of us. God's scheme of things is always boils down to the same simple formula. Truth or consequences. Know the truth, love the truth, obey the truth, live the truth, speak the truth, or suffer the consequences. Or, as another pastor has said, who didn't heed his own words, choose to sin, choose to suffer. Exhorting one another, though, brothers and sisters, is like a spiritual cardio workout. It helps us avoid sin. And so I want us to engage on that cardio workout right now. As you were coming in today, you were able to pick up one of these cards. Hopefully you got one. If, if you didn't get one, uh, maybe we could just, just put up your hand and we'll get one to you, okay? If you didn't get one. So there's a couple at the back. And we're going to give you an opportunity right now to write somebody either here or somebody outside of our church that you just want to encourage Maybe you just want to say, hey, I've seen, I've seen this in your life and I'm just so proud of you. I love you. Keep going. Maybe it's, a, it's an exhortation. Just, hey, let's continue to be vigilant in our life. And so right now, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. And it's a postcard size, so if you need to put it in the mail this week, you can do that. There's a, there's a place to put a stamp. And people, hey, getting, getting mail... And the snail mail is fun nowadays, right, isn't it? So I would encourage you to do that. We're going to take just a few minutes to do this. This is our attempt to live out and provide one another care, to strengthen our hearts as we exhort one another. So let me pray. I'm going to give you just a few minutes to, um, to do this, and then we'll, uh, we'll conclude our service. God, would you now put in our hearts somebody that you want us to encourage, to lift up, to exhort. Lord, maybe this week, just this, these simple words that you want to give to, to, to give to these other people through us, Lord, would, would keep them from sinning, would, would, would cause a, an evil, unbelieving heart to turn back to the living God. Would you help us to do this today? We pray this in Jesus' mighty and matchless name who came to us and spoke the truth. Amen.